0: Hey, uh, as, you, uh, as they head out and you prepare to look at Scripture, um, in your uh, bulletin was a card that was inserted. Uh, Beth mentioned in the announcements the um, services, uh, what's coming up over the Holy Week, the week leading up to Easter, and this card has information about that. It's not for you. It's for a neighbor, it's for a friend, it's for a coworker or somebody that, uh, that, that might be saying, where am I supposed to go on this Easter time because I really feel like I should. And so I ask that you take that and, and find somebody to share it with uh, about what we're doing. And, and all of those services, by the way, will be available online as well. So consider that as a part of your ministry to your friends and neighbors. Our scripture today comes from the book of John, the third chapter. This may sound awful familiar to you. It's a uh, a, a section of scripture that is uh, much used and celebrated and for good reason. I'm going to read John 3, 1 to 17. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born born of the Spirit. "'How can this be?' Nicodemus asked. "'You are Israel's teacher,' said Jesus, "'and you, and do you not understand these things?' "'Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, "'and we testify to what we have seen, "'but still you people do not accept our testimony. "'If I have spoken to you of earthly things "'and you do not believe,' How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Kids these days. You ever say that? Kids these days. I'm 60 years old, which means I'm right at the tail end of baby boomer and yet still a baby boomer. And I'm pretty sure when I was about 30, I was looking at that next generation, Gen X, going, kids these days. And then maybe in my mid-40s, I was looking at the generation that followed them. uh, What do we call that? Gen Y, kids, or millennial, kids these days. And whatever generation follows them, Gen Z Kids these days. Familiar to any of you at all? Okay, there's a few kids in here that probably can't say it yet, but you'll get there. You'll get to the point. At some point in your life, you're going to look at the next generation and go, kids. Well, I got to tell you something. I got a little bit of good news for you. Um, This weekend, I was uh, at... um, the speech and debate contests uh, here in St. Louis area, where kids were competing to go to the national contest. Those who finished in the top three in, in St. Louis area go on to compete in Phoenix for the national competition in speech and debate. And uh, um, there's good news in that. I got to watch the best and brightest of our area, and man, it was it was impressive. It really was. It was. It was good to see. It it kind of refreshes your understanding that uh, there's hope. There's hope. I mean, let's let's face it. I mean, we can look at 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 the millennials and go, they eat Tide Pods, right? But but that's not all of them. It doesn't describe all of them, right? (laughs) No. There's there's millennials and and Gen Z uh, that there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of possibility. And, it, and it's a good thing, and, and so it was. It was fun for me to uh, well, fun's not the right word. It was interesting to me um, to spend that time Friday and Saturday judging uh, these speech and debate contests. And, and in speech, there's several different topics, and I judged um, original oratory and dramatic interpretation and humorous interpretation. Three different. Uh, hours of that. And, and then um, I judged debate. There's three types of debate that they do in our area, and I judged all three of them throughout the weekend um, uh, because they, they have several rounds before you get to the finalists. And uh, so I judged policy and public forum and Lincoln-Douglas. That's the one that most of us are familiar with, Lincoln-Douglas debates. But all three of those and all three of them have some similarity. There's some things that that are the same within them. The the purposes and goals are and presentation are a little bit different. But in each one of them, you have a, a student who will um, speak to a question uh, or a statement. For instance, in Lincoln Douglas, I think it was um, uh, the the statement was that Supreme Court, court justices should have. Um, Term limits, okay? Don't applaud one way or the other. It was the, the so the, they had the affirmative. Somebody, the student, their job was to speak in favor of that. And the other side was the negative, the, the affirmative and the negative. The negative was to negate the arguments for the affirmative. And so as they, as they work through this, the, the way they do that is the, uh, the affirmative speaks and then the negative gets to ask questions about what they just said. It's called cross-examination. And then, and then the negative speaks, and, and the affirmative gets to cross-examine, ask questions. And it goes back and forth until final arguments are offered. And it seemed to me as I was listening that... Um, There are really kind of two types of questions. There's probably a lot more, but for the sake of today, and don't argue with me, this isn't a debate, there's two kinds of, of questions or ways to pose questions. One is out of sheer curiosity. I'm interested in what you just said. Tell me more. Help me learn. Help me understand. And the other is what they use in speech and debate, and that is, I want to discredit what you said, in the way that I ask my questions. I want to walk you down a path with my questioning that causes you to stumble, that traps you into saying something you don't want to say about your case. And so, I think there's the the sincere curiosity, and, and, and there's the desire to discredit. Now, I'm going to talk some about that desire to discredit. And let me say, that is the point of the questioning in a debate contest. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what they're supposed to do. And they're learning a life skill that's important, this this sense of being able to to think um, uh, uh, in in a way that that develops their minds. And and so it's okay for that discrediting conversation to happen in that context. But, But when we look at Scripture, we find that the more sincere the questioning, the more likely it is that something really positive comes out of it. As we look at Scripture, uh, there there are people that Jesus meets along the way, and and as he goes throughout, there are some who come with him with a curiosity, a sincere curiosity, and there are some that come to discredit him. As a matter of fact, in, in, in John 8, for instance, John 8 is the story of the woman caught in adultery, and the Pharisees bring her to Jesus for him to judge her. But here's what it says about that in John 8, 6. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Their questioning was meant to discredit, to trap Jesus, to get him to say something that is against their rules so they can show him as a charlatan and not worthy of, of their attention. In other places, there's, there's one other place that this is specifically mentioned, this questioning is a trap, and, and that is in Matthew 22. We also find it in Mark and Luke on the same conversation, but I'll just talk about the Matthew 22 one. It's, it's the, the conversation where Jesus responds, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. By the way, you remember there's a, a, a suffix or a predicate to that, that sentence, and to God what is God's. But prior to that, uh, we're, we're given a heads up in Matthew twenty-two fifteen. 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. That was the purpose of this questioning, to trap him. Should we pay taxes to Caesar, they asked. They didn't ask it for his sage wisdom and advice. They didn't ask it because they were curious. They asked it because they wanted to get him in trouble with the Roman leaders, to trap him. And there were others that, that came to him uh, uh, throughout uh, um, his, his time, and, 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 and they came some just to wonder about him, curious enough to, to show up, to witness, to, to maybe hear something wise he had to say or, or, or to, to uh, witness a miracle or, or, or possibly to become part of it as he feeds 5,000 and another time he feeds 4,000. Some came with all sincerity, and others came for the purpose of trapping him. But one of those that came to him was among those who were trying to trap him. We're told of Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, right? And and, and the Pharisees were the ones, they were were the, the very religious people of their day, Who didn't think Jesus was teaching right and they wanted to get him in trouble. But Nicodemus has sincere questions to ask. He's really sincerely curious. It's part of the reason why he comes at night. We have Nick at night because it's not safe for him to come during the day when he's a Pharisee and also a Sanhedrin, which is the ruling council. He's the the religious guy with a political office. And to be seen publicly having a sincere conversation with Jesus runs up against the traps that his friends are trying to lay. So he shows up at night. Now, nothing good shows up at night at that time. That's why we're told it's at night. People locked their doors at night. And we know that it actually happened because there's this story. Uh, Jesus asked the question, which one of you, if your neighbor comes knocking on your door in the middle of the night and asks for bread, would say, hey, I'm sorry, the door's locked for the night. So the doors were locked. He's got to knock. And the reason the doors are locked is nefarious activity happens on the streets at night. But Nick comes knocking. And, he, and And he comes in and, and he sits down with Jesus. Now I think this is an abridged version of what actually happened. I, I think that John just said, "Look, I, I haven't got this many pages that I'm, I'm going to write on this whole conversation, but let me hit the highlights of it. Part of the reason I say that is because I think that there's an awkward transition between John three two and John three three, because Nicodemus comes in and he says, "You know?" He offers these platitudes, right? You know, we know you're a great teacher. We know that you come from God. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, well, you must be born again. Where'd that come from? So there must have been a question in there. But here's what I find very important in this whole storyline. And that is that when someone comes to Jesus with sincere curiosity, they are rewarded with a very beautiful response. When they come to him to catch him, they are rewarded with a stinging response. Nicodemus gets the most beautiful response I think we have in all of the the New Testament. Nicodemus gets a a response that, that, that is the basis for evangelical theology of which I subscribe. So let's look at that interchange and the beautiful response that comes from it. Nick asks the question, or Nick offers the platitude, and Jesus' reply, again, seems a little bit awkward, but I I think we're missing a, a specific question in there. He says, very truly, John 3, 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Somehow in this sincere conversation, comes a clear understanding. Well, maybe it's not too clear yet, because Nicodemus has a follow-up, right? Wait a minute, Jesus, help me understand this, because I'm pretty sure at my age, I'm not going to go back into my mother's womb and be reborn. He picks the, the physiology of it, giving Jesus the opportunity to respond again in a sincere way, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter, John 3, 5 to 6, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. I love that understanding. He's saying that, you know what, when you left your mother's womb, there was a need for you to have breath in order to have life. That flesh, your mother's flesh gave birth to your flesh. And you came out and you breathed and you have life. And the same is true for your spiritual self. Unless you allow yourself to be born again in a spiritual manner, you won't see the kingdom of God. And, and it's interesting as you think about it, because the word spirit uh, in, in Greek, the word spirit and the word breath, and by the way, the word wind, which also shows up in this uh, passage, are all the same word. It's all pneuma in, in, in the Greek. So spirit, breath, and wind are pneuma, and you have to select which one you want when you're translating it but I think Jesus uses it in in those many ways to kind of allow you to see kind of a holistic understanding of it. It's not a mistake of the language. But in this sincere questioning, a beautiful response comes out. Now, Nicodemus still isn't convinced. He's still asking. And so he says, how can this be? How does this work? And again, I think it's followed by some beloved verses of theology. Um, and and it's part of evangelical theology upon which the Methodist church is built. The Methodist theology is built, and that is the love of God. And we have that beautiful verse from John 3.16, and maybe you know this by heart. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It speaks of God's love for us. It speaks of God's sacrificial love, willing to give a son for your sake, it speaks of, of, of a sacrificial love that invites us into the eternal presence of God. Because someone sincerely asked a question, we get to dive into the depths of God's love. And then it, as if to make it clear that this curious question is welcomed and not condemned, John three seventeen. for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Thus, the the clarity comes through. God God doesn't seek to condemn us. God seeks to save us, to, to save you. We're condemned by our own activities. We're condemned by our own words. We're condemned by what we call sin, by our actions that oppose God. God doesn't condemn us. We condemn ourselves. God allows us to live with the consequences of our own self condemnation. Or God offers by his actions to save us. We are condemned by our actions, we are saved by God's. And we learn of this because somebody came with a question, not a, not a question that was to tear down what Jesus was saying, but a question that was sincere. The desired knowledge and understanding. Last week, I, I I talked about learning and practice. We we learn what God has for us, and then we go out and practice it. and And, and part of that flow happens just every Sunday, as as you come and you learn God's love for you and and God's desire for your life, and you go out and try to live it. And some of it comes through on on uh, long term learning through a Bible study or something like that. But but. What, what that does is invites your questions, invites your curiosity. And you practice it like a, a, a lab experiment where where you're wondering, and then you try it, and you see the results. There's a, a, a story, uh, uh, Mark 6 specifically, but it's in other um, books of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus sends 70 of his followers. It's quite a crowd. We usually think there's 12 no, he sends 70 of his followers out into the, the countryside, and he says, go to these villages and teach them what I taught you. Preach what I've preached to you. What you have learned, go out and practice it. And, and the, the cool thing is that they go out, and when they come back, they're, they're excited, They're like, Jesus, you can't believe it. It was wonderful. It was like we we watched Satan fall from his throne in the middle of this. And I could just imagine the question that followed. And that was, can you tell us more? We'd like to learn more. We're even more curious now that we've practiced it, what it's like. So we can go and practice it some more. Their curious minds put into action what they've learned. And they practice it and come back to learn more. There's a, there's a video online right now. It's, it's part of, any of you watching Ted Lasso, would you confess, And you know, so, some of you? So I'm, I'm not watching it because I'm not on Apple TV. Um, I can't show the video that I'd like to because there's certain words in it that we can't show in church, and by the way, I just asked the question, if we can't show it in church but you can watch it at home, I just sit with that for a while. Um, but there's a scene in, in Ted Lasso, um, Google Ted Lasso darts. And it's, it's a great scene where, where, where somebody uh, tries to discredit Lasso without being sincere in their questioning to understand who he is. And, and in it, um, uh, again, I won't describe the whole thing, but it's, it's really brilliant the way it works out. But, but he says, you know, he says, basically, my whole life, People have tried to, uh, to d- discredit me, and I never could understand that. And then one day I was driving down the road, and I saw on, painted on the side of a building a quote by Walt Whitman that said, be curious, not judgmental. Be curious, not judgmental. A discrediting line of questions of God. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Might come back as a stinging rebuke, but a curious one, a question that, that has a depth of, God, I don't understand it. I would like to. I really I, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. But I'd love to understand, where are you in the midst of this? How is this working? Because it's not working for me right now. Help me understand. That that sense of curiosity, I think, reaps beauty. Let me share one more thing about those students that I got to judge this past week, um, uh, these past couple of days. When, when, When the student shows up and has to argue their point, in, in one of them, in one of the, the contests, uh, the uh, public forum one, or maybe it's policy, I can't remember, um, but they literally flip a coin right then before their start, they start their argument to find out, do you have the affirmative case or the negative case? In other words, to be effective in what they do, they had to be curious enough to learn so they could argue both sides. Because at any moment, they might be arguing the affirmative or the negative. And they have to be prepared for both. And I wonder if if we weren't to approach God, if we were to approach God with that sense of wondering, God, I want to learn. Help me. And let let me share with you, God, my perspective on this. So that it's more of a give and take. And then, and then wouldn't it be beautiful if we'd allow that with the people around us? I do not understand you. Help me learn. Kids these days, I don't get them. Maybe I need to learn something from them. Amen and amen.